Happy Easter. It is good to see so many of you here this morning. We're just grateful to have you here in this place. Let me say this. Uh, maybe it's been a while since you stepped into a church. We're so glad you're here today. Uh, maybe you're one of those people who's been hurt or wounded by the church in the past. And so stepping in here this morning was, was scary. Let me tell you how much I admire you. And we're just so glad you're here. Let me tell you a little something. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm kind of an interim guy here at Centralia. And let me tell you something I've learned about this place. Uh, they welcome just about anybody. Let me, let me change that. They welcome anybody. <laughs> right? Uh, if you've been wounded, hurt, if you're struggling with areas of your life, if you're battling addiction, if you've been hurt and rejected, if you are in need of financial help, this place welcomes you. And we wanna walk with you and, and provide a health and hope through the message of Jesus Christ. But not just through the message of Jesus Christ. I think one thing my observation of this place has been, and again, I'm a little bit like you, I'm an outsider. One of my observations about this place is this. They'll help you with needs and with, with caring. That's important stuff. And so it is uh, uh, with uh, a lot of joy that I welcome you here this morning. We're gonna worship God together this morning. We already have worshiped God, haven't we? We've already uh, been doing that. Let me tell you something I've been struggling with the last couple years. Uh, time, okay? Time. The older I get, uh, the more I struggle with time, and I'm kind of confused by it. Uh, what do I mean by that? I find, and maybe this will resonate with some of you, I have a hard time placing things on the calendar. Like, and COVID made it worse. Like everything in my life, did that happen during COVID? Did that happen before COVID? Uh, when, when did that happen? You know, I, I just, I, I, time just seems to fly the older I get. And there's certain things that confuse me. The other, yesterday we were driving, uh, or yesterday I was driving, and, and uh, um, or last week I was driving, and anybody remember the song Mbop by Hanson? Remember, mbop? You weren't expecting that, were you? Um, mbop by Hanson. I was like, ah, I remember that song. That was like a summer party song. And I, I just kind of, out of curiosity, Googled it. 27 years ago. <laughs> what? How'd that happen? I was watching, uh, 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 I, was, I was in my, uh, my trailer, and I was just thumbing through channels. Dances with Wolves was on. Remember that one? Kevin Costner. Tatanka. Anybody remember that, Kevin Costner? 32 years ago, Dances with Wolves came out. I was four when, when Dances with Wolves came out. As much as I struggle with time, there's certain things about time uh, that absolutely stand out to me. Moments, just snapshots in history where my mind is just filled with imagery. Some of them are traumatic. We all, res all of us know this experience, the death of a loved one, or the death of a friend or a child. 9-11, I still, I still remember 9-11 you know, vividly. In some ways, those memories are, are the Good Friday memories, aren't they? Where death and destruction and heaviness just seem to overwhelm they're from traumatic, wounding. But some of the days are, are joyful. I remember 
a basketball game, specifically in, in 1990, where I ran into this cute girl, 22 years old, Anita Barber. And I remember looking at Anita, this is one of those stories, I remember looking at Anita thinking, well, that's who I'm gonna marry. And I'm serious. I knew at the moment I saw her, I was gonna marry her. Now, she didn't know it, and she had some serious reservations about my plans, <laughs> but I knew it at the time. There's a couple other dates that stand out to me, March 11th, December 29th. Those dates stand out to you, too. Um, those are the days my kids were born, John and Emma. And I remember those. They're just a snapshot for me. Today we're going to talk about a day. We're going to talk about the day. We're going to talk about a day that literally changes everything. It is, I would argue, the day we celebrate today, the pivotal moment in all of human history. It is the day that everything else hinges on. And what we believe about this day and how we respond to what Jesus did will chart the rest of our days, will chart our eternity. Folks, because of what happened 2,000 years ago on a cross, death is dead. Death holds no sting. Death holds no power. There will be a time sometime in the future where this body will give out, but this spirit will live on and this body will be renewed and resurrected and I will spend eternity with Jesus Christ in a perfected state of glory where there's no pain and no sorrow, no wounding. Where we live in complete and total joy. Let's take a look at this account this morning. It's found in the book of Matthew. I'm gonna ask McKenna Clovedal to come this morning. She's gonna be reading for us. Uh, it's gonna be in Matthew 28, verses one through 10. And why don't we stand out of respect for God's word this morning as one of our college students, McKenna, brings this passage for us. Morning, McKenna. Good morning, guys. Okay. After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he laid, and then go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them, greetings, he said. They came to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Would you thank McKenna for us this morning? Thank you, McKenna. You may be seated. So let's talk about Christmas. Nope, not making a mistake. We're gonna talk about Christmas a little bit this morning because at this point, it seems that the story of Christ comes kind of full circle. We see something here, follow me. There's some parallels what, that happen in that, in that Easter morning that parallel back the advent, the arrival of Jesus Christ. A story begins 
with an angel back in Christmas, an angel's declaration to a young woman named Mary. And it ends with an angel's declaration of the resurrection of the Lord to two women named Mary, Mary Magdalene and likely the other Mary, sister of Lazarus uh, and Martha. What do both angels say at the beginning? They say the same thing when they appear to Mary at the beginning and when they appear to Mary at the end. You know what they say? Don't be afraid. The story of Easter culminating, or the story of Christmas culminating in the story of Easter is a message of do not be afraid. It's going just as I planned it. Watch and see. Both also bring an important message that God is up to something. Something's happening. Something miraculous is happening. It's a message of, you know, we're a people uh, as a church, we're an Emmanuel people. Do you know what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. Christmas and Easter point to the same message. God is with us. And he, at Christmas, he comes as a baby. At Easter, he comes back from the dead. He is with us. We don't tend to think of Emmanuel as an Easter promise, but I think it really is. Easter is the most powerful example of God with us. Because in Easter, God knocks down death to be with us. He destroys death in order to be with us. It's an intimate and powerful example of God choosing us. Now, don't get me wrong, Christmas is important, but Christmas is culminated in Easter. If we just had Christmas, the story would fade. We need to have Easter, this resurrection. Christmas is God coming for all of us, okay? When, 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 when God became flesh and dwelt among us in that first Christmas morning, it was him choosing to come for all men and women. Easter is a little bit different, I would argue. I think Easter is reaching out to each of us. Do you catch the difference there? Christmas is God coming for all of us. This extended invitation to all of creation, I am here for you. Easter is God coming and finding us right where we're at and going to extraordinary, un unbelievable lengths to be with us. The Christ child when he was in the manger, think about it. He's too little to speak. He had all the vulnerabilities of a newborn. Those gathered, the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, knew that something was up, that God had come for the whole world. Jesus risen, the Jesus who overcomes death. Well, that's a little different. And it's interesting what happens immediately following the resurrection. You know what Jesus starts to do? He starts to go visit his followers in small groups, sometimes individually. Some of them are doubters. Some of them are still true believers. Some of them are scared out of their mind. And yet Jesus comes to each one of them individually. We talk about this day that changes everything. This event happened on a third day, right? We know that. For those who grew up in the church, we know that Christ rose on the third day, right? You ever wondered why? We all sort of take that for granted, don't we? Jesus rose on the third day. Does anybody ever wonder, why third day? What's the significance of third day beyond the fact that he prophesied he'd be back on the third day? Well, there's a couple of things. 
Jesus predicted he'd rise on the third day. Third days are important in the study of theology. Let me give you a little insight this morning about third days. In the Bible, historically, what we see is that the third day is a special day in which God creates new life and activates his covenant, his promise with us, with all of humanity. Third days are significant. If you're familiar with the Bible and you know the story of Abraham and Isaac back in Genesis 22, God rescues Isaac from sacrifice on the third day and instigates this new covenant, this new life. He provides a sacrificial lamb. Boy, Easter, third day, is also an example of providing a sacrificial lamb. God reveals himself on Mount Sinai on the third day, back in Exodus 19, revealing he's a God who makes promises and, and keeps covenants and provides for needs. In 2 Kings chapter 20, we see God heal and restore a nation on the third day. In Hosea 6, God revives and restores Israel on the third day. Maybe the most significant one is this. It happens in a familiar, if you grew up in church and you're a little kid, as a little kid, you heard the story of Jonah many times, didn't you? This one's especially important, found in Jonah 1.17, because when Jesus says in Matthew he's going to give the sign of Joseph, He's indicating his own third day resurrection because Jonah was in the fish for how many days? Three days. Three days are Jesus indicating that he is bringing new life, pointing back to his promise that I will bring life out of death. Here in the Gospels on a third day, Jesus is not only bringing new life, he's actually going one step further. He's defeating death. He's destroying it once and all and a new covenant, a new promise is being realized. Today marks Jesus. This third day marks Jesus restoring and bringing new life to us. It's interesting in both Matthew and John's accounts, they emphasize it was in the early morning. Now, since these Jewish women couldn't go anywhere to prepare a body, to, to anoint it with oils, to rewrap it, whatever, they could not do that on the Sabbath. They couldn't touch a dead body. So we know this is a third day experience. And the implication here is, is that these two women are arriving as soon as they could and still follow Jewish law, okay? They're going to the tomb as soon as they could. In John 20, 19, it's interesting what else happens on this day. Something else happens on this day. It's the first day of the week when the disciples are locked in an upper room together. Which means this, Jesus' appearance to the women at the tomb and Jesus' appearance to the disciple in the locked upper room happened um, on the same day, one in the morning, one in the night, right? We can make a whole bunch of inferences from, from these deals. First off, the women play a unique role. Do you realize these, first, these, these two women were the first missionaries sent to tell the news of the resurrection? In a time when women weren't esteemed in the way we, are, we, we esteem women today, we're valued. God chose these two women to go and tell the others. It's also interesting to me, what are the, the disciples doing? Uh, the men, uh, they're locked behind a door for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, by the way, their fears are warranted, yet the two women risk safety to visit the tomb while the rest of the disciples stayed safely behind uh, locked doors. 
whether brave or cowardly, among all of them, there seems to be an inability or unwillingness to understand what Jesus is doing. All of them, the women and the men, still don't seem to be getting what Jesus is doing here. They still don't seem to be understanding what he's doing. We need to remember several things at this point. On multiple occasions, Jesus had told these people that he was going to rise up on the third day. It happens in Matthew 16 twice. It happens in Matthew 17 once. For whatever reason, his followers really never seemed to understand that. I mean, the women were going to the grave because they believed he would still be dead. And they wanted to take care of his body. Add to that this, the, the, the women were present at the crucifixion. Some of the men likely were. And here's an interesting thought. Think about this too. If you're familiar with you know, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, you know that a lot of these same folks were present when Lazarus was resurrected from the dead, right? So think about how confusing this whole thing must have been, how fearful this group and, and confused this group must have been because many of them had seen Jesus himself raise Lazarus from the dead, right? And now the guy that, that raised someone from the dead, Jesus, is dead. They must have really been. Can, can you think, think how confusing that was? Again, despite the fact that he had raised people from the dead before and people had seen it, and despite the fact that he had told his followers, his closest brothers and sisters, he was going to rise from the dead, they didn't fully seem to understand that. I try to put myself in their mindset on Saturday and in the early hours of Sunday there must have been a hopelessness. These, these group of people, these devout group of people had in many cases given up everything, right, to follow Jesus. And now he was gone. And you know where their brains go? For a lot of them, are we gonna be next? Are we gonna be crucified? Are we going to be punished? One of the things they didn't understand at that point was this, and this is something that I think it's important that we understand as Christ followers in 2023. Jesus' death, his death, was actually the pathway to life. Death had to happen in order for life to occur, right? Back to Abraham and Isaac. A new covenant, a new promise, a new sacrifice. Easter shows us that salvation and victory come in an unusual way. The whole Jesus story the whole Jesus story, folks, seems to work against prevailing culture and what we even value, what, they, what the first century Jews and Romans valued, power. And unfortunately, it seems like we're still chasing after it, doesn't it, folks? Power, power, power. Easter shows us that salvation and victory come in an unusual way through submission, sacrifice, death, and resurrection. In our case, death to ourselves. Death to our own desires. Death to what we want. Death to selfishness. Death to sin. Jesus, you know those things you hate about yourself? Jesus wants, those, Jesus wants those things to die. And he wants to eliminate those things from your life. It's why he said, if you want to come after me, here's the secret. If you want to do what I'm doing, if you want to be like me, if you want to have me in your life, you got to take up your own cross. You've got to die to your own desires, your own sins. God rarely works in the way we want. 
or, the, or, or, or think he is going, or, or the way we think he's going to act. Still 2,000 years later, we clamor for power and rights, but Jesus seems to go in a different direction. Let me take you back to Christmas again. In the same way Jesus did not uh, uh, leave the world in an expected, the way we expected, he did not enter the world in an expected way. He was born into a messy situation with an unwed mother. Those who heard about Jesus' birth initially were the least likely. The outcasts, the poor, the shepherds, a woman, Elizabeth, the Gentiles, the Magi. Here's the, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus always seems to come to the wrong people, doesn't he? <laughs> Jesus always seems to come to the wrong people. And you know why I like that? Because I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been the wrong person. I've been caught up in my own sin and brokenness. I've wounded others. I've been dumb. I, I, I've, I've lashed out. And yet Jesus comes to me. During, by the way, his ministry... He continued to do this. He confounded the Pharisees by his willingness to associate with the broken, the addicted, the prostitutes, the thieves. One of the things that upends my theology more than just about anything is on the cross. He looks at a thief next to him who surrenders to him on that cross. And without... You know, without a Sunday school class, without a baptism class, without even a baptism, Jesus looks at this guy and says, you're going to be with me today. Oh, that's so hopeful. If you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, I'm here, but if these people, these church people sitting around me knew what I was like, they wouldn't much like me. Well, let me tell you something. I've been here for a year and a half. If you knew what they were like... <laughs> the, before they met Jesus? You see, we're just this group of broken people. But God doesn't leave us broken. God does not leave us broken. One of the messages. Here's the great thing. He preached peace, compassion, mercy, and love when the prevailing thought was that the Messiah would come and overtake oppressors by violent and oppressive means. By, we, by the way, we still have a lot of Christians thinking that this is, you know, th that this is going to be a, a live fire battle. When Jesus tells us that the battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against rulers and principalities. This is a spiritual battle. If you're here last Sunday, we were reminded that Jesus is turning things upside down all the time. He entered into Jerusalem, not the king they wanted. Not on a chariot, not with a spear, but on a donkey with a message of love. And that's good news because the resurrection shows us that Jesus comes to us right where we're at. Following the resurrection, Jesus starts appearing to people. I mentioned this earlier. He goes to them. And it's interesting, with each person he encounters, with each group of people he encounters, he seems to craft his message to them where they're at. In John Mary, uh, Mary encounters Jesus in the garden. In Matthew, the women encounter him on the way to Galilee. He goes to them with this message of do not be afraid. Something just changed. Remember the death you were afraid of? 
It doesn't exist anymore. He goes to where the disciples are. Do not fear becomes this recurring message. He interacts with the women because they've come to the tomb. He actually has to go to the disciples. I love what happens in John chapter 20. Look at it in verse 19. I think we have it for you. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And what did he say? Peace. Peace be with you. The resurrection, and that story in particular, reminds us this truth. And I don't care where you're at this morning, what valley you're in, what your brokenness is, that little verse right there reminds us of one thing, and it is this. Nothing can keep Jesus Christ from getting to you because he loves you that much, even in isolation, even in fear. A locked room of fearful men. Jesus gets to them. God is pursuing. I love, I love the Thomas. You know what I like? Everybody, I mean, you don't even have to go to church. You know, what, was, what was Thomas's nickname? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. I'm a doubter. I'm a skeptic. I have been my own life. My previous career was journalism where we're like trained to be, you know, doubters. Where we're trained to be skeptics. And look what he does, look what happens in John 20, 24 through 27. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he says to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, if I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the do Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he says to Thomas, you know, he's met with the other ones already. Now he's meeting with Thomas. And he looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believing. I love this, I love this dialogue. You know why? Because you know what it tells me? Jesus doesn't mind when we come to him with our doubts. He's not afraid of that. Jesus looks at each one of us and says, investigate, explore. I'll make myself known to you. In Matthew 7, 7, he actually says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Go looking, you'll find him. When you walk out of that door today, maybe you'll have questions. I would encourage you this. Just come to God every week in prayer. It's nothing, nothing uh, mysterious. It's nothing uh, do overly programmed. You just come to God and say, God, would you show me? If, if what I heard on Sunday is true, would you show me? Because here's what I know. I'm so glad you're here today. And I love this church. And I want everybody to come to know Jesus Christ. But I know Jesus loves a lot better than me. And if you come to him with that, he's gonna show you in ways that I can't show you as a pastor. This is the Emmanuel God, God with us. He's shown us to be present once again. This time not as an infant, but as one who conquers death, who conquers fear, who conquers sin. This time, unlike a baby in a manger, he's not in a state of vulnerability. He has resurrection power. At this point in the story, he has defeated death. The victory is gonna, has been won. We're going to realize it in perfection in the future, 
But he's won. He's won. The game's over. Here's one thing I think maybe some of us need to hear today. The fear, the doubt, the hopelessness of the disciples did not disqualify them from encountering the resurrected Jesus. Let me say that again. The fear, the doubt, the hopelessness of the disciples did not disqualify them from finding Jesus. He found them. In spite of all of his teachings and warnings of what was going to happen, Jesus doesn't shame any of them for looking for him in the tomb, for hiding in a locked room, or, or for doubting the resurrection. Instead, he embraces them all right where they are, and their lives are transformed by his presence. They were commissioned to go out into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they went and they changed. So let me say this. It's 2023. Here we are in Centralia and Chehalis, Lewis County, South Thurston County. So much of what we have relied on that we thought was foundational, that we thought was firm, our whole life has crumbled in the last decade. Politics have failed us. An economy, as it's wont to do, shrinks. Banks fail. Families break apart. Health wanes. People die. Some of the things we found safety in, we no longer find safety in. And by the way, those things too, let me just say that, the politics, the money, the economy, the things that we found confidence in, we were never intended to find confidence in. It was never intended to be our source of confidence. We found safety in these things, but they failed us. And into this weary world, this tired world, this broken world, with people from the left and right screaming at each other, Jesus comes into it and says, peace be still, I am here with you, I love you, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'm gonna give you rest. You can experience joy. His message is unchanged. He's looking at each one of us and saying, death ain't gonna stop me. There's no fear that he cannot overcome. There's no locked door he cannot burst through. He's willing to meet you in your doubts and fears, and he wants to take your brokenness and bring healing, restoration, and hope. We're a third-day people. We're a third-day people. God's making new promises to each one of us. God wants to bring new life to each one of us. Look for him. He'll show up. Let me say this too. Let me just throw this in here. If you're here today and you're really struggling, maybe with fear or anxiety, I shared with this congregation months ago that one of the things I've done battle with in my own life is depression and anxiety. You know, I've seen people for that. And Jesus Christ has delivered me from those things. Maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe you're struggling with your family or your marriage. I believe that Centralia Community Church of God can be a place where you can find the hope of Jesus. And I would say this to you this morning. If you're struggling, reach out to us. We're here for you. We want to hear from you. We want to listen to you. We want to see how we can help you. If you're not, you, you saw Elmer get up, you're welcome to talk to him. You're welcome to talk to me. Uh, reach out to me. 
Uh, if you're not comfortable coming up, just grab one of those communication cards again. And there, there's, I think we have extras in back. Just fill them out and put it in the, in the box and one of us will reach out to you. I mentioned as I started this morning, some of you maybe came in here today and felt like, I don't know if I belong here. I'm pretty messed up. I would say you precisely belong here. Because we are a group of people that are nudging one another towards the cross. They're holding one another's hands as we walk towards Jesus. Let me give you this image. This is a true story. Uh, we were watching the news this morning and, and uh, the Pope was, was giving his uh, annual Easter message and my wife commented that a couple years ago uh, 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 she and my daughter got to go to, uh, to Italy and to Greece and one of the places they visited was St. Peter's Square and, and all of that. She was pretty impressed with it. And in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, there's this famous sculpture by Michelangelo. The sculpture is called La Piata. It's actually an image of the Virgin Mary holding a crucified Jesus. I think we have a picture of it uh, this morning. Um, it's considered a masterpiece, irreplaceable. In 1972, a crazed man jumped a barrier and began uh, smashing the sculpture with a hammer, completely obliterating the nose of Mary breaking off one of her eyes and chipping off one of her eyelashes. So what did the Vatican do? Uh, well, it threw the, threw the sculpture away, right? No. And why didn't it throw the sculpture away? I mean, the sculpture was no longer what it was. It was no longer how it was created. It was broken. It was, it was damaged. In fact, many people said, many art critics at the time said it was damaged beyond repair that it could not be restored, okay? Here's the image this morning. Follow me. Jesus, God, is Michelangelo. He created a masterpiece. The masterpiece is you. But here's what happened. The world happened. Life happened. Sin happened. And sin entered in and it started hitting you, beating you with a hammer. And it broke things away. And then into the world came the art restorer, Jesus, who wants to come into your sphere, into your circle. He wants to come into your life and begin restoring you back to what you were intended to be. We've all been damaged by sin. We've all been attacked with a hammer broken. But here's the thing. God doesn't discard. God destroys. Workers came in and painstakingly restored La Piata. If you're to visit St. Peter's Basilica today, you will find this sculpture, and it looks as it did when it was first created, this masterpiece. It's been fully restored. Jesus Christ wants to do that same thing with you, like a methodical art restorer. He wants to put you back together. And he'll do it simply if you let him in. Most of us work to control our own lives. The big scary part of all of this is that we have to let go and say, we're not gonna control our life anymore. We're gonna give up our sins and habits and we're gonna trust Jesus to work through those things and give us power to overcome those. But when we let him in, this restorer changes everything. Are you ready for a new beginning?
God's pursuing, he's knocking. Let's stand as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the great restorer. Thank you for blessing and healing. Thank you for taking me, God, at a very low moment in my life and saying, you can still come to me. Regardless of what you've done, you can still come to me, Mike. Thank you that I took that step, God. If you're here today and you've, you've never taken that step, you can simply pray this prayer after me this morning. Lord Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. Forgive me, Jesus, when I've tried to control my life. Forgive me when my control has taken me to areas of sin where I've hurt and damaged others and wounded my own soul, God. I give you control. I surrender my life to you this morning. You are the CEO of my life now, God. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you work to change me? It's in Jesus' name we pray. If you prayed that this morning, or maybe you're returning, we've got all sorts of opportunities for you. Let us know. Fill out one of our cards. If you want to be baptized, we'll baptize you. We love seeing God work in this place. Thank you for being here this morning.